Oh, that deceit should steal such gentle shapes, and with a virtuous vizard hide foul guile. William Shakespeare, Richard III, Act Two, Scene Two. Chapter One Nom de Guerre. One. It is, Roy thinks, perfect. Kismet, serendipity, destiny, happenstance. Call it what you will. All of these things rolled into one. He is not sure he believes in fate or whether he believes in anything but the very present. Then again, life has treated him well, generally. He stands and does the walk of his flat, checking that the windows are secure and the appliances are switched off correctly. He pats the chest of his blazer, which hangs on the back of the door. Yes, his wallet is there. His keys lie ready on the console table in the hall. This lady, at any rate, seems heaven sent, at least from the resume he has called up on the screen. At long last, he knows to anticipate the minor alterations, those moments when a slight imperfection is turned by a clever choice of words or a simple, ever so small fib into a positively positive attribute. This is human nature. He suspects, for example, that her name is no more Estelle. Than his is Brian. In his view, such inconsequential tweaks are to be expected and accepted. They oil the cogs. When they are revealed, he will be suitably tolerant and amused at these minor embellishments. Unlike the rather larger lies you often confront, he thinks as he places a tea bag in the recycling bin, rinses his cup and saucer, and places them upturned on the draining board. He takes a breath and powers the computer down, pushing the chair neatly under the desk. He has been here before, hopes held high. With this transitory reflection comes a momentary weariness. Those dreadful meetings in Beefeaters and Tobies around the home counties with frumpy old women, in whom the bitterness of their long unfulfilled marriages with underachieving and uninspiring husbands has in widowhood seemingly become the seed of a sense of license to lie at will. For them there is no legacy of happy memories or the material benefit of platinum pensions and leafy Surrey mansions. They reside in pokey terraces that no doubt smell of fried food, eking out an existence on government handouts, cursing Bert or Alf or whoever it may be, and contemplating a stolen life. They are out for what they can get now, by whatever means, and who can blame them, really? Quick inspection. Immaculate white shirt. Yes. Creases of grey flannels. Perfect. Spitshine shoes. Gleaming. Regimental striped tie. Well knotted. Hair. Combed neatly. Blue blazer. Off hanger and on. Fits like a glove. Glance in the mirror. He'd pass for seventy, sixty at a pinch. He looks at the time. The cab should be here shortly. The train journey from Paddington will take only thirty minutes or so. For those desperate women, this is an escape, an adventure. For Roy, this dating lark is something different, 
a professional enterprise. He does not allow himself to become light entertainment or to let them down gently. He fixes them with his blue eyes before dismantling them forensically. He skewers them. He has done his homework and lets them know. I thought you said she was five foot six and slim, he may say with incredulity, but is delicate enough not to add, rather than a clinically obese dwarf. Not much like your photo, are you? Was it taken a few years back, dear? He doesn't add the postscript, perhaps of your better-looking sister. You live near Tunbridge Wells, you say? More Dartford, really, isn't it? Or, so what you mean by holidaying in Europe is a package trip once a year with your sister to Benidorm? <laughs>